You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's bring in Rodney Harrison, who hopefully will be in the Hall of Fame one of these days. Two-time Super Bowl champ and an analyst on Football Night in America. All right, Rod, when you you dropped that bomb, and I almost texted you to say, are you an NFL insider now? Uh, you must have felt pretty strongly about Aaron saying that, to say that on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, when I had a chance to speak with Aaron, we spent about 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, how many more years you want to play? You're at eight. And I'm thinking, hey, man, you're going to play another extra, you know, another seven years to get at least 15. And he looked at me and he was like, hey, I tell my teammates all the time, but they don't believe me that if I win this Super Bowl because how I prepare and the way how hard I work on my body year round. And obviously, you know, he's mentioned his family. Like he's accomplished everything. So it's very believable. He said, hey, there's, you know, there's a chance that I can walk away. And um, I was stunned because I'm thinking this guy has another seven, eight, nine years. And, yeah. he's, and these guys are different, Dan. Think about these young guys. They make so much money in a short period of time. They don't have to play 12, 15 years like, you know, like old guys like me. I played 15 years. I knew I could still play, but I wanted to continue to make that extra money. And these these guys, they make so much money, especially a guy like him. He's coming off a $100 million contract. You think that he's going to come back and play? You know what? Right now, I, I saw him at the parade, and it was emotional. Let's run it back. There's a lot of emotional type things. You know, before you, you, you know, before you initially win that Super Bowl, your mind is playing tricks on you. After you win the Super Bowl, your mind is playing tricks. I think, you know, I, I would like to see him come back and play because um, once you walk away, there's no there's no coming back. You know what I mean? And you don't want to sit at home and wish you could have done this, could have done that. But he's got plenty of time this offseason. We'll see what happens. Is there a better defensive player that you've seen in history? I, I you know what I used to say. I used to say um, Lawrence Taylor. Then I was really, really high on J.J. Watt when he was at the top of his career, you know, being defensive player of the year over and over again. But when I saw Aaron Donald, I just saw something different. I saw a guy that I could connect with, a guy that I just absolutely fell in love with, with how hard he plays the game, how tough, how passionate he is. And you think about the thing that game really changed the course of the game was that melee on the sideline when he pushed Burrow on us. And everybody, it didn't just spark him, but Sean Robinson. He got pumped up. Vaughn Miller, like that's the type of stuff that Aaron Donald does. His his passion, his aggressiveness, it's it's infectious to his entire team, Dan. Uh, if if the Rams could afford to lose one player, or, or Aaron Donald or Sean McVay, coach or Aaron Donald, if you if you had to lose <laughs> one, let's just say hypothetical, you know that Sean went into the broadcast booth or that Aaron was considering retiring. If you had to lose one, you lose the coach. <laughs> you lose that coach because at the end of the day, Dan, as much as I like Sean McVay, he ain't out there, you know, causing disruption, taking on double and triple teams and chips and things like that. He's not doing any of that. He's sitting back reaping the benefits of having the greatest uh, player of all time. What was Matthew Stafford's reputation before Sunday? He was tough, but a guy that was um, always limited because – of where he played and you know i i respected him from afar never thought that he was going to be a world champion never thought he would get this opportunity 
And, you know, I hear a lot of people screaming and yelling, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. And I'm not not quite yet, man. You still got, you know, some work that you got to put in before we start talking Hall of Fame with Matthew Stafford. How what did you think of the Bengals approach to the Rams offense after OBJ went out? The Bengals approach Beng- to the yeah, Rams. Yeah, defensively. Well, I, I just felt like um, I felt like the Rams really struggled once Odell, because I had mentioned before I made my pick, I picked the Rams and I said, oh, I said, Odell Beckham, he could be Super Bowl MVP if he wins that matchup against Eli Apple. And it looked like he was on his way. A couple yeah. big catches, a touchdown um, catch. And before you before you know it, he gets hurt. Then Matthew Stafford saw Cooper Cup getting double teamed and he's trying to figure out, okay, let me go to Van Jefferson. Let me go to Van Jefferson. And he just couldn't get it done with Van Jefferson. So once Odell got taken out, he got hurt. It really changed the course of the game. And then at the end, you saw Matthew Stafford say, screw it. I'm just going to force the ball to Cooper Cup. Yeah. I love how people go, well, Cooper Cup's got to be MVP because uh, he was double teamed. And I said, uh, Aaron Donald's double teamed every time. Everybody, yeah, in the first half, you know, Cooper Cup's not doubled in the first half. It was when OBJ went out and they're like, uh, we can double this guy. I just still don't understand how Eli Apple is on Cooper Cup at the goal line, single covered. It, it, let me tell you something. It is amazing. And, and the defensive coordinator, um, Lou Anarumo, he told me before, he said, hey, Eli's got to, before the game, he said, the most important matchup is Eli Apple has to match up, be able to match up with Odell. And there's no way I'm taking my second or third corner and putting them on Cooper Cup on the goal line in the most critical moments of the game. And that's why I talk about, um, you know, like coaches, man, you got to have a feel like that's Eli Apple against Cooper Cup. Double team him. Yeah. You can't let do- you, Cooper Cup have that one-on-one matchup. It's crazy. Well, reminded me, and I hate to bring it up, Ellis Hobbs on Plexico Burris, where I just went, the the Super Bowl is over. Like, you know, Ellis is what, 5'11", and Plexico is 6'5", and he's out there by himself, and the giant, Eli had to look over there and go, we just won the Super Bowl. Five, it's even worse than that. He's like 5'9", against a guy that was 6'5", and you're looking, like, why are we calling this play? (laughs) You're like, okay, but and you try to check it, and, you know, what happened, happened. <laughs> you think Tom is uh, truly retired, Brady? I would like to see Tom just stay the heck away from the game. What more does he have to prove? 22 years, man, all those. And let me tell you, Dan, the thing that you miss out on, you miss out on being able to go to your, your kids' recitals at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday. That stuff is important, man, to be able to sit there in the audience and watch your daughter. Like, I've been blessed enough and fortunate enough where I don't miss any football games. I go to all the volleyball games. I go to all the recitals because, you know, my time is free during the week. And on the weekends, I travel. And that's something that that's time that you can never, ever get back. You can't continue to acquire, you know, trophies and MVPs and put up records. But at the end of the day, you can't replace that time with your kids and your family. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, he's wired differently. And, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years. It's a a sacrifice, Dan. If you want to invest more time into your job, then guess what? You're going to fill it on the back end because your kids are going to be like, you know, daddy, daddy, you had everything and you missed this and you couldn't make it to that. And, and, and when you play on that level, it's not just you sacrificing your entire team, your entire family sacrifices, your wife, your kids, a lot of pressure goes on them because of your dreams and your aspirations. Uh, 
Thanks for joining us. You had a great season. Always great to talk to you and uh, have fun this uh, spring and summer with the kids. Hey, man, I appreciate it. I hate I couldn't get over to your table. I had a, a group over at the um, hotel and I saw you over there. And at the end, I couldn't even get over there to you. So it's okay. Good to see you, Dan. I didn't take it personally, although Chris Sims came over and then uh, Tony Dungy came over and Drew Brees came over. I mean, just my friends came over, Rod. Yeah, but they're not on. They're not on television with you right now at nine o'clock. Oh, in the okay. Morning. All right, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's fair enough. Uh, thank you, Rod. Love you, Dan. Take care, buddy. That's Rodney Harrison. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine to noon Eastern or six to nine Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Mark Wahlberg, actor, diehard Boston fan. Uh, His new film, Uncharted, hits theaters here in the United States this Friday. And he's uh, acting with uh, Tom Holland, who is on a roll here. And uh, I'll let Mark tell you about the the movie. Joins us now. Mark, how's morale going today? What's up, buddy? I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? I'm good. You're in New York, so you got out. You didn't even experience. Well, you wouldn't have celebrated the Rams winning the championship, would you? No. You know, I'm happy for I got uh, friends that are on the team. I'm happy for Odell. Uh, I'm certainly happy for, for uh, Aaron Donald and, uh, and Sam. But, you know, it's one of those things where I was kind of pulling for the, you know, the small market team. But I really didn't have any stress. It was it was one of the more enjoyable games for me. You know, when the Patriots aren't in it, I'm a crazy. I mean, uh, when the Patriots are in it, I'm a crazy person. So for me, it was it was super relaxed. I didn't uh, didn't really uh, was a concern one way or the other. Did you go to the game? I did. I went uh, a couple hours early. I was doing some stuff to promote uncharted so i was there doing some press had uh some meetings with a bunch of people i jumped from box to box then i left after the first quarter i got home in time to see the halftime show which i thought was the greatest halftime show that i had ever seen it was fantastic uh and then i watched the rest of the game but i watched at home i had some friends over my wife had a little super bowl party it was uh very enjoyable what did that music mean to you growing up the halftime show oh my gosh well i remember the first time my brother Donnie and I were at Interscope Records and Dr. Dre came in with The Chronic and we were there and I had already had my record deal and they were talking about whether or not they were going to do a deal with Death Row. And we heard the record and just thought it was one of the best records we'd ever heard. It's still one of the best records to this day. So that music is part of my childhood, but also to see Kendrick now, who's a new artist and so talented. I thought that he was... Um, one of the best highlights of that. And of course, Mary J. Blige, who's my absolute favorite. Mary and I did shows back in 91 for like hot 97 radio in Cancun, Mexico and stuff. So for her to still be killing it as hard as she is, uh, it's absolutely amazing. Who did you open up for? Like that would surprise uh, uh, me. Oh, we opened up. Wow. We opened up for a lot of people. I would say the, the big shows we were always doing were like the radio shows. So it was like us boys to men, you know, Mary J. Blige, it, it was a long list, um, you know, oh, God, uh, TLC, we were all kind of coming up at the same time. So, but I opened up for the new kids. I used to get in trouble because I would do things that were inappropriate for younger audience <laughs> over in Europe. And uh, I would always get an earful from, uh, from my brother. Wait, what were you doing? Is there nudity? You know, pulling down my pants, cursing, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I think that was cool. 
And those days are over, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends. One of the golf courses, I'm buddy, but still, I'm still talking a lot of, a lot of smack, for sure. And I think the last time you rapped was when you were on our show five years ago. Yes, with Ella. Yeah. Dad, yeah, that was a lot of fun. She, Ella's come a long way, by the way. She's super mature now, well-behaved. Thank God. Lots of prayers answered there. Okay, but, you know, you have that moment where it doesn't matter if you're famous or not. To them, you're like, you're an uncool dad. You, you, you embarrass me and you say stupid things. Like, you, but you got to fight through that. You got you to hold on. You say to your wife, uh, when does this end? Because it, it feels like it goes on a little too long. Yeah, it doesn't really end. Although my sons now are becoming obsessed with golf. And now that we've got real, you know, A, I could play. And B, we get to go play really cool golf courses. And they're seeing lots of cool golfers that are actually my friends that are professional. So I got a little cool factor in the golf, in the golf world with my sons. I didn't know that you love to prank people so much. What's the best prank that you've pulled off? It was probably uh, on the Dan Patrick show when I called Pete Berg and pretended to be a guy from Louisiana. <laughs> and we were talking about the little altercation that happened on the plane. And Pete was trying to say that, you know, that wasn't really how it happened. And then when he realized it was me, uh, the look on his face was classic. I remember like it was yesterday. I was in New Orleans. I think I was shooting two guns with Denzel. I was in my hotel room. So I'm watching him live as I'm calling in. That was that was pretty good. That was up there. But when you're acting with somebody like Denzel, do you ever catch yourself going, I'm acting with Denzel in the moment? Well, it's happened a couple of times, whether it be with like Denzel, Jack Nicholson, Robert Duvall. But, you know, they're they are such great mentors and they really you know, you could either be with somebody who's going to elevate your game and you realize that it's it's to your benefit to just kind of go there and just do your best, uh, or you can kind of not rise to the occasion, but you're only as good as the guy next to you. And to, to work with guys that are that talented, I always, I always get very excited about that. But they know how respectful I am and that I'm a student of the game. And uh, But, yeah, and then, of course, I'm also fearless in trying anything. So, uh, you know, that was a, those are some of the greatest experiences that I've had. And I carry those experiences on and, and try to share those experiences when working with young actors like Tom Holland. Did you cry when Tom Brady announced he was retiring? No, I was just happy for him. I was happy. For, you know, for me, he's done so much for New England. He's done so much for football. You know, for us to, you know, to win that many championships, uh, you know, six titles, it's a blessing. He, whatever he wants to do, I'm more than supportive and, and, and just, uh, you know, happy for him. I was watching Perfect Storm. It was on last night. And there's, there's the scene when you guys are drowning. Now, how do, you, how do you act like you're drowning? Well, you know, it's actually, it was pretty helpful in that we were in the tank at, at Warner Brothers. You got the wave machines going, the rain and all that stuff. And there are guys, because... The shot of me, especially when they're fading away and I'm in, supposed to be in the middle of the ocean, the, the mark itself is so critical for focus that you have guys, scuba guys, under the water holding my feet <laughs> to keep me in position. But they don't realize where the waves are in relation to where my head is. So they're holding me in that position. And when the waves go up, I'm submerged. And I'm like trying to get away and, you know, swim away. That's your first instinct, right? It's to swim. But so it was, it was pretty scary. That was a pretty sketchy time to shoot that because I didn't want to mess up a take. Wolfgang would, would not have been happy with me, our filmmaker. But was there any thought of like the ending like that? 
You know, we normally have Hollywood endings. I like when you have a, a real ending, an ending that makes you think. But, you know, you yeah. and George Clooney die. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a true story. You know, many, many a fisherman has gone out to provide us the simple pleasures of eating fish for dinner uh, and not come back, especially in, in the Flemish Cap and, uh, and places like that. So, you know, um, those guys, you know, that were on the Andrea Gale, uh, they didn't come back. You have this new movie with Tom Holland, and he's sort of the it guy right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you give him advice on dealing with whatever it is that he's going to deal with? I mean, have you been in that moment, that level where it's like whatever you do, whoever you're dating, wherever you go, TMZ, they're all there waiting for you? Yeah, I mean, things have changed quite a bit with social media since I was his age. But he's had a lot of success in a very short amount of time. But he's he's comes from a great family. He really has his head on right, and he's you know he's disciplined. He he works hard. He knows that this kind of success in big IP like like uh, Spider Man or even Uncharted is very different from you being above the title on your own an original movie. So he's he's really out there trying to do great things in between that showcases talent and ability as an actor. And I think he's going to have a, a a very long career. Explain this movie and how it came up. So this movie actually came up in, for me, 2009. I just finished The Fighter. David O. Russell and I attached ourselves to do Uncharted. I was playing the role of Nathan Drake. I have since now aged out to playing the role <laughs> of Scully, the elder statesman. Um, but, you know, I embraced that. It was one of those things. That when I did get the call, I was a bit surprised because I'm like, all right, we got Uncharted going again. I hope you're ready. I was like, absolutely, I'm ready. And I was like, who's the other guy? Because, you know, before we had De Niro. So I was like, maybe we get De Niro back or maybe we get Jack Nicholson or, you know, somebody great. And they're like, Tom Holland. I was like, what, what do you mean, Tom Holland? <laughs> Tom Holland. I had to put two and two together. And I just realized, oh, my God, you want me for the old guy. But then I realized the benefits of being in the helicopter barking orders as opposed to, you know, having to be thrown out of a plane or hanging from a cable for 12 hours a day for six months. So I, I embraced it. it. And it's much better me kind of playing age appropriate roles and imagine me trying to play the 25 year old running around uh, with a bad back and a bad knee. It wouldn't it wouldn't have looked good. Is it tougher to add weight or lose weight? Oh, it's much tougher to add weight. It's just it's fun for a week. And then, you know, I just put, put 30 pounds on for a roll and I'm still feeling, uh, it, it's just still bothering me. So I lost the weight since, but it just does a lot to your body, but nothing worse than being on a full stomach and then having to eat again. It's, it's the worst. Well, that's how you win Academy Awards. You know, when you, you have the transformation, right? You either lose weight or uh, gain weight. Well, I think for me, if, if the role calls for, I played a guy who was, you know, started out as a boxer and then he became, he tried to become an actor. And then after that, he wanted to go into the priesthood after he had a, a terrible accident, had a visit from Mother Mary, went into the priesthood. And then he came down with a rare muscular degenerative disease, IBM, and his physicality basically deteriorated, but his spirituality soared. So he had put on a lot of weight in what was once this kind of, you know, really kind of, uh, fit guy, you know, everything just kind of turned to mush. And so, you know, I had to, you know, portray that in an honest way. Uh, before we let you go, let's play the Mark Wahlberg bench contest. Uh, we did this with a lot of guys at the Super Bowl. One rep max. Uh, Fritzy, what are you going with Wahlberg here? I'm going to go 315. 315. Seton? Going 325. Uh, Marvin? I'm going to go 285. 285. Paulie? Three even. 300. 300 for Wahlberg. 
I'm going to go 340 max, one rep. Mark, your answer is? Dan, you're pretty spot on. 340, 345 has been my max. Um, we were we were shooting pain and gain. We would go to the gym and we kind of do this lift off all the time. My buddy Ace, who's here, he would go cold turkey right to 315 and he would bet his paycheck every time and he got squished. <laughs> he got squished every single time. He never lifted it, but he never warmed up. I'd go, you know, 135 for 10. I'd do 185 for 10. I'd do 225 for 10. Then I'd go 315 and then i go, you know, 340, 345. Uh, but but for that, I got labrum tears in both shoulders. <laughs> uh, hey, good luck with the movie. Great to talk to you again, as always. My best to the family. Thank you, bud. I can't wait to come into the studio and see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's Mark Wahlberg. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's Ben, host of The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is The Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of The Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt Jr., a uh, special contributor to the uh, Super Bowl festivities, two-time Daytona 500 winner. He and his wife Amy have partnered with Sugarlands to launch their own vodka brand called High Rock. I went into the mailroom yesterday and I opened up the package and I go, "Somebody sent me vodka." I started. <laughs> I started asking. There's no note in there, and I started saying, "Who's sending me vodka?" And then Fritzy goes, Junior is. I said, all right, well, get Junior on the phone. You got my attention with uh, vodka there. So you and Amy are deciding to do this together. Yeah, we've been talking to Sugarlands for several years about trying to figure out what we could do together. They make a lot of different products from moonshine to bourbon. And they got a really, really cool bourbon called Roaming Man that's won a lot of awards across the country. But uh, anyhow, they wanted to make a vodka and they make it all in-house right there in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And they've, they just had a lot of success. So we thought if we're going to do this, we want to do it with the right people. So it's a great product and we're real proud of it. So kind of starting to launch that slowly across the country over the next several months. We're going down to Daytona this weekend for the Daytona 500. And we've got a a few launch parties down there in Daytona uh, tonight and tomorrow night. So uh, should be a lot of fun. So I think it'll be uh I think it'll be a pretty good success. What did you drink after you'd win a race? When I would win a race, uh, Dan, the adrenaline's pumping through your body. No matter where you finished, uh, you couldn't go to sleep. And, you uh, you know, so I always went home and I'd stay up till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning just trying to calm down. And uh, I drank beer, Budweiser, Bud Light. Uh, I was pretty loyal to Budweiser because they were so great to me early in my career. Um, and that's what I'd still drink today and has a Bush products when it comes to beer. Well, when you get into the winner's circle, champagne, you actually drink in the champagne or just sprayed on you? You almost feel obligated to take a drink of it, right? You like to spray it everywhere, right? Get it all over the place. But uh, it's sort of, 
uh, involves, it, it's a great way to get everyone involved in the celebration. Uh, if there's no confetti, you want to spray champagne on everybody. Um, but you feel obligated to drink some of the champagne. It's like uh, baby, bad luck if you don't have a drink of the champagne from the bottle. Did you ever screw up the sponsors after you win and you want to thank everybody? I don't think I ever made a mistake that I can remember, but you often forgot to mention your sponsors and they want you to mention them, right? Every opportunity, every interview, if they come up to interview before the race, before qualifying, after anything you've ever done, uh, they want you to mention your spot, uh, sponsors. And I was never really good at that, but I kind of got a pass, um, uh, with, with that kind of thing. And we were doing so much, um, uh-oh, uh-oh, I just saw the, <laughs> I saw your daughter. Hey, tell Amy. I heard her coming. Uh, I heard the little pitter-patter of the feet coming. I'm like, okay, we're getting ready to introduce you to Nicole. <laughs> let me let me see her. She done took off. Uh, she's she's She done took off around the corner, but no, that's I, th- I, little, I, th- I think, was it Amy who grabbed her? That was Tammy. Tammy, Tammy helps out around oh, here. Oh, okay. Bit. I, she's your crew chief around the house. She is the crew chief. Yeah, <laughs> keep things straight around here. Are are drivers made? Are you born a driver, or do you become a driver? You know, I think it depends. I think when you, if your family raced like mine did, it's a uh, it's very you know it's common to hear people say, man, you were born into this and you really are. You're, 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 you, you are what you're exposed to, right? So if you're born in an environment, you kind of are infected, you know, you're kind of infected with that passion and you're, you're, you're steered uh, to be interested in certain things that you're exposed to. So if you grew up around racing, there's a race shop in the backyard and there's race cars around all the time. Yeah, you're born into it. But when you look at a guy, for example, I par- my career kind of paralleled with a guy named Matt Kenseth, and we were pretty good friends, and he was not born into it. Racing was something he discovered. And, uh, you know, he was sort of a – he didn't have a last name like me, and he didn't have all the keys to all the doors to unlock and walk right through. And he was kind of a self-made racer and had to learn the craft and a and, and develop his skills really from his own experiences. And so it just depends really about, you know, where you are and who you are and who you know and uh, what you're exposed to at a very young age. But do you think your daughters are going to have that racing gene? No, you know, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that you have the, the gene. I don't know that there's a, uh, there's a certain, real attribute that you can you can be born with that makes you a great race car driver i think that um you know you just either have it or you don't and i you can develop talent but you have to go out there and you have to drive and you definitely need people around you that are helping you understand the mistakes you're making on the racetrack and why you need to do certain things and how to run the line and and uh, how to get around the track and go fast some people, I mean, I, it, it's been the hardest thing to really understand. Uh, you'll you'll see a guy race, and they will be so fast, and there's no explanation for why they're this good. 
uh, like Kyle, Kyle Larson, for example, right? Where did his ability come from? This guy can win and, and drive anything on dirt, any type of horsepower, any type of car. He seems to excel. Kyle Busch is the same way. Um, they just have this real raw ability to connect to the car. And I always felt like that uh, the best way to describe it was is when you're when things are working really good, you and the car almost feel like one thing, right? You almost it fits you like a glove, and you that car is like an extension of you. It's like your arm or your leg. You you know how to work it and move it just like uh, you've been living with it your entire life. And so um, there's moments uh, where you'll see that in certain drivers, and those are the those are the elite ones. Though, you know, there's guys that are good, there's guys that are pretty decent, and there's guys that are talented. But then there's this one little group that just has something special that everyone else doesn't have. You know, and and it's a rare once in a generation kind of talent. Could you drive a, any racetrack? Is there a racetrack you could drive one lap with your eyes closed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> when we raced at Daytona and Talladega. When, you know, when you're in the lead of the draft and you've got 40, you know, cars behind you, uh, you're looking in the mirror, you know, you're driving the race car, looking out the windshield, but you're also looking in the mirror, watching what's going on behind you, probably three quarters of the lap. You might run almost a whole lap, like watching that mirror. No and the, the great thing that we develop as drivers, and I think that probably all athletes have this ability, especially – I would, I would assume like a cornerback in the NFL would have amazing peripheral vision and they can actually focus on an object in front of them or a person, but also see other things happening around them and make adjustments based on what they see in their peripheral vision. And that's what a race car driver does. And so I can look in the mirror and really focus on trying to defend anything that's coming from behind me. Uh, to maintain the lead, but also as I'm focusing on that, I'm actually still seeing what's out the windshield in my peripheral vision and understanding where I'm at on the racetrack. So, yeah, it's 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 a pretty uh, it's a pretty interesting thing when you think about it. But when you do something for so many years, uh, you develop those type of skills. He's Dale Jr. He and his wife Amy have partnered with Sugarlands to launch their own vodka brand called High Rock. Visit HighRockVodka.com. How often would you flip somebody off when you were driving? I um, I probably did it. That see, flipping somebody off is a, is pretty bad. It's a, oh, okay. Yes. Well, you know, it's in a race car. You're not able to speak to each other, right? I can't I can't cuss you out if you're in another car and we're banging and you, you did something I'm mad about. I can't cuss you. And so really flipping you off is about the only thing I can do to show you that I'm angry. And well, you can bump some, into somebody. Well, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. But I like I, mean, how, I like I, how that's acceptable, but Hey, you can bang into my cart. Just don't flip me off, because then I'm really yeah, going to be. <laughs> I've never, I've never really understood this, but I learned this from guys like Rusty Wallace and uh, the people that uh, you know I, I grew up watching. That for some reason that sets you, that sets them off. You know that for some reason that's a very <laughs> um, unethical thing to do. Now, outside the racetrack, by all means, you know everybody flipping everybody off, no big deal. Um, Given the bird is, you know, 
what you would expect in any other circumstance. But on the racetrack, for some reason, uh, when you get flipped off, it sends you <laughs> into a rage. And uh, unlike any other situation, uh, and you you don't want to be flipped off. I don't know why that's such a big deal on the racetrack. For some reason, that's super. That's way more offensive <laughs> when you're racing a race car to be flipped off than it is to be flipped off in any other scenario. I, I don't really know how to under, you know, how to articulate that or explain why that's the case. But your uh, your football team's now known as the Commanders, Junior. Yes. Are you okay with that? It is what it is. It's happening, right? So I that, that's <laughs> not a ringing endorsement. Are you well, all right. So I'll be honest. Like I was hoping it would be the Warriors because that sounded like um, easy. You know, it's easy. Washington Warriors. That was an easy thing to say. I knew that it was probably unlikely because um, you know somebody's out there trademarking and copywriting and and you know trying to you know trying to get a pile of cash for the rights to use something like that. And I have no idea how they determined or decided on commanders. I don't, I was, I don't know how those meetings went. Uh, I was, I had no clue uh, what the name was up until everyone else found out at the same time. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I think I wasn't super in love with it at first, but I wasn't in love with the Washington football team either when it first came out, right? And then a year later, here we are going, well, I'm kind of okay with that now. <laughs> why don't we just, you know, why don't we just leave, leave it with football team? That's good. Well, we weren't thinking that a year ago. We hated it, right? Or two years ago. Yeah. And so, I, you know, commanders sounded weird at first, but I think with each passing day, it gets normalized and it gets okay, right? It gets, and look at, I mean, when you really think about it, uh, you know, looking at all the other teams' names, I mean, they're not extraordinary. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing that really jumps off the page when you look at all the, they're just names. And if if they I, ever came up for sale, yeah, would you be a part of it? I don't group? have that kind of money, uh, Dan. <laughs> oh, I'm, you don't? No. Um, I mean, this is billions of dollars. Uh, this is going to take You can some, be part of a group. I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd be interested I don't know that I'd be interested in that, to be honest with you. You know, I, I, it would be such a, I would be such a small fraction of the ownership that it wouldn't, I don't know what I would get out of that. And, and, uh, you know, as far as enjoyment and so forth, I love being a fan. I want to stand, I want to, I want to be in the stands with all the other fans. I want to wear the merch and I want to, be mad when they lose and I want to cheer when they win. And I want to go to the, you know, I want to go to the, the, we got, there's a guy in Charlotte here that, that, uh, has a, they, you know, they designate a Washington commander's bar. This is the bar where you go watch the games. This is where all the Washington commander fans are going to go. I want to go do that. I don't want to be in the owner's box and worried about yeah, but how many line. guys are in this bar. It's you and three other guys. Oh, there's a lot of people. <laughs> I haven't went yet, but I've been, I follow this guy on social media and I've been telling him for a long time, I'm going to come watch a game with him because I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I want to be a fan. So I'm going to, I'm going to ride this out. Whatever happens with the commanders going forward. I read somewhere on social media, like, um, 
we choose, you know, when, at a very young age, Dan, we choose this team, right, that we're going to follow. And we spend the rest of our lives letting that make us miserable. And, uh, you know, no matter what, no matter what happens, you stay loyal to that team, right? Yeah. When the Panthers came into town, I love the Panthers. I think they're great. I love what they do for the city of Charlotte. But it, I never contemplated switching from Washington to, to Charlotte. Uh, you know, I had already made that choice to be – a Washington uh, fan in 1981, 1982. And I'm, I got too much personally invested in that. And I've celebrated too many good times and suffered through too many bad times to <laughs> give it up. Well, congrats on the vodka. Safe travels to uh, Daytona. My best to the family. And uh, thanks for joining us as always, bud. It's always good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on.